Hey there, John Morris here, johnmorrisonline.com. Welcome back to another episode of The John Morris Show. So I got this from Ahmed over on YouTube. He said, I watched your videos since one year ago. You've talked about a lot of things, but you've never mentioned how to get rid of a bad habit, put slash put something away forever. I know you're not a psychologist, but if you've ever experienced something like that, please help. It's urgent. So, I mean, obviously today's going to be a little kind of off topic of the normal kind of coding web development stuff that I normal normally talk about. But, you know, I like this kind of stuff, but also I think a lot of us have habits that we'd like, bad habits that we'd like to get rid of. And ultimately, I think a lot of this stuff is really more important than, you know, knowing how to, you know, where, what function to use in this particular scenario or how to comment your code or any of that stuff. You All that stuff matters. You got to learn that stuff. But often the things that really hold people back are more mental things or emotional things, fear or bad habits, etc. So I really want to kind of dive into this. And I can actually really relate to this because I, when I had first... A lot of you know, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, I spent 11 years in the Army, in the Army Reserves. I did a tour uh, in Iraq, kind of right at the beginning uh, of the Iraq War. And, you know, We could go off on a whole political discussion about that, but I, I did do that. And when I came back, I suffered from what a lot of people that, that went over there did from PTSD. And back then in the early kind of stages of the war, it wasn't as kind of a well-known thing as it is now. So there were a lot of people dealing with it and nobody really kind of knew that it was going on. We kind of got some standard kind of, you know, we do these, get these slideshow presentations on it and it'd be like, hey, kind of look out for this thing. But it wasn't the acknowledged, hey this is actually a problem we know is happening and all of this help and counseling that, that they have now, there wasn't a lot of that uh, in the initial kind of stages of the war. So a lot of people were dealing with this kind of thing on their own and I was no different. And up until the point that I had gone to Iraq, I actually, so I was one of those uh, probably typical kind of kid growing up, at least here in America you know, you do some partying and a little drinking when you're in high school and and as you get into college. And I had got into that, but I was really kind of trying to start to take things, sports in particular, but just life in general serious. And so I had actually stopped drinking and I hadn't drank for about three years going into me going, doing that tour in Iraq. And I had actually (laughs) made it about 11 months in Iraq without drinking. Now, Technically, we weren't supposed to drink at all, and there was not, like, you couldn't go to some place and buy beer or whatever, but as you can imagine, in a war zone like that, there's all kinds of sort, all sorts of things just flying around and available, so people were doing stuff, and I had made it about 11 months, and I hadn't done any of that stuff, even though it was very stressful, and there was definitely an allure to medicating yourself in that way. I hadn't actually done that, but I can't really get into the details, but that last month I essentially came in contact with a large amount of alcohol and I gave in 
to it and started drinking again. And as I came back and kind of got back home, I just continued that trend. And it really got worse and worse and worse. And got to the point where I think I can finally admit now, because it's been, you know, almost 15 years, that I became essentially a functional drunk because I would just, I would get drunk basically every night. I would get pissed drunk every night. But I would go to bed by like 10 o'clock and I, the job I worked at the time, I didn't have to be to work usually until about 8 or 9 o'clock. So I usually had enough time to sleep it off. So I was able to still get up and go to work and all of that. And some of the stories I tell about how, you know, I was jumping from job to job and so forth at that time, part of, you know, what what added to the difficulty of that situation and what made it so much worse was the fact that I was drinking a lot during that time. And so I was just adding alcohol to this mix of PTSD and feeling like I was, wasn't really living out the, the life that I, I thought I was capable of. And it was just this really big mess and it kind of took over my life. And so now fast forward to today, you know, I'm not completely alcohol free by any means. I still drink from time to time, I'll, sometimes I'll go and I'll have, a, you know, maybe a drink or two every night. Um, or, But there are times where I'll go months at a time without having an, a, a drink and I don't miss it at all. It's not some, it's not this thing that just has control of my life and I can't escape. It's just something that I kind of do casually every now and again. It's not a big deal and it just doesn't control me like it did before. And I know what it feels like to be controlled by a substance like that. I've felt that. And so I can, I know now what it's like not to be controlled by it. So I know the difference. And so it's just a lot different uh, scenario for me now. So there were some things that happened and some things I learned and some things I did along the way that helped me to ultimately break that destructive habit. So all that to say, A, I can relate to the situation and B, that's what informs my kind of view on this. So I want to talk about this uh, a little bit and you understanding that that's where I'm coming from because I'm not a psychologist, but I have dealt with this and I have, you know, read a lot of books and done all that sort of thing on it. And this is kind of just how I look at it. I'm not saying this is, you know, the absolute perfect way to look at it or the exact science and all of that stuff. I'm not saying I'm some expert. This is just my view and the things that I've learned over time that might help you. So again, this is how I look at it. So the way I understand the kind of science behind this sort of thing is that when it comes to habits is that off, often repeated actions, which we might call a habit, they form actual physical neural pathways in our brain and in, and potentially in our body. So when you learn a new skill, you're actually creating a particular organization of the cells and the connections in your body and in your brain. So take shooting a basketball. When you learn how to shoot a basketball, it's a, it's a, it's a very similar sort of action that is repeated over and over and over again. And it's a it's a combination of muscles and neurons and cells and, and stuff going on in your brain. And the more you do that, the, the, the stronger that pathway becomes. And that's how you get better at it to where you can do it and you don't even really think about it. And so that's really kind of the first thing to get. That when you're trying to break a habit, 
you're you you are very real you're actually attempting to override physical biology that is incredibly strong so it's not just some easy thing you're going to be able to change on a whim you're not necessarily going to be able to just decide one day i want to change this habit and boom it's it's that easy it's done right and it doesn't really matter what kind of habit it happens to be it, it's a difficult thing to do so you have to be mentally prepared for that now the number i kind of often hear kicked around is 90 you may have heard this before if you look into any of this stuff but people will often say or what i've read is that it takes about 90 days to lock any in any new habit and that's because often when you're creating a new habit you're also at the same time overriding or, or trying to get rid of an old habit you're doing something different than you were before so that's no small feat it's going to take some effort it's going to take some commitment it's going to take some willpower and you have to understand that that going in but getting deeper than that i think the important thing is getting to the why why did the habit form in the first place and in my opinion when it's not consciously created when you're not sitting down and and you know consciously trying to create a habit like maybe you're doing now when the habits tend to just naturally form around positive reinforcement so the reason that we engage in this particular habit is we're getting some sort of positive reinforcement out of it now there may be all sorts of destructive things around it but there's something positive that we're getting from it so for example, you might ask someone who smokes, how did their, their smoking habit form? Well, maybe they started smoking because they, you know, they were nervous one day and someone offered them a cigarette or they'd heard about cigarettes helping with that to, to calm nerves. And so they, they smoked a cigarette and next thing they know, it calmed them down. And so that's, that was what started the habit forming was there was that positive reinforcement. And now they just, constantly smoke because a from again from what i understand smoking itself helps increase anxiety so it, it it feeds itself but whenever they feel nervous they'll just crack open a cigarette and start smoking or maybe it gave them something to do when they were bored or it helped them to fit in with the cool kids when they were young whatever it is I believe that you have to figure out what that why is, what the appeal is. Why why did that habit form in the first place? Because if you're still engaging in the habit, it's probably because you're still getting that positive reinforcement that you initially got, which means you're probably still craving that positive reinforcement and not getting it at all or at least sufficiently from something else. And so... Once you understand the reason why and what that positive reinforcement is, then you now have the power to change it because you can start to get that reinforcement in other ways. So I do two things when I there's some habit that I want to break. And, and when I came to my drinking habit, this is the stuff that I kind of came across that really helped me. So first, I recontextualize the habit. So there's a reason why I want to quit the habit, right? If some habits are good habits, but there's a reason why this is a bad habit. So there's some sort of reason why I want to stop it. And so again, our example uh, of smoking, I want to quit smoking because 
it's horrible for me and it'll, it, you know, it'll kill me someday. Now, just be clear, I don't smoke. I'm just, if I did, that would be one of the reasons why. So I have to start associating mentally smoking with that negative thing. I have to start to develop uh, some sort of negative reinforcement to the smoking so that there's some sort of pain associated with it. That's going to start to help change the way that I think about it and stop stop associating it with whatever high that I was getting from it, whether it was calming my nerves, making me feel cool, whatever, whatever it is. I need to change what I'm associating with it and turn that positive reinforcement into some sort of negative reinforcement. So I need to start seeing smoking as death, not as calming my nerves or making me feel cool. Now, if I can do that, if I can actually make that work, then smoking will naturally start to disgust me because I'm associating it with death and disease and and all these negative things. And I don't really have to try to quit. It just kind of naturally happens because it's no longer appealing. It becomes almost repulsive to me. So that's the first thing that, that you need to do is you need to start associating it with all the negative things you're getting from it, not all the positive things you're getting from it. And that's what we often tend to do is only think of just think of and justify the positive things. But you need to be honest and also look at and associate the negative things with it. That in of itself can do a lot to start to really curb your cravings for whatever this habit is. But I've found that that's not often that's not enough because the underlying craving, the the desire for that positive reinforcement will still be there. And even if you do a good job of associating what you're doing now with something negative and and you stop doing that, what happens is that craving's still there. So you'll just start doing something else. Maybe it won't be as bad. And of course, that's better. But until you actually figure out what that craving is and how to deal with it, uh, you're just going to be hopping essentially from bad habit to bad habit. So the second thing I do is to kind of analyze and figure out that craving, what that positive reinforcement is and and why I want it. So is it, first off, is it legitimate? It could be total a totally legitimate desire, right? Maybe it's some sort of desire for human connection. And, you know, as a result of that, Maybe you're being promiscuous and doing dangerous things that way. Uh, the the underlying desire is is legitimate, the, the desire for human connection. But maybe the way that we're going about it isn't. Or is the the desire, the, the, the positive reinforcement we're seeking in itself irrational? Is it something that is irrational in and of itself? Now, if it's legitimate, is there a healthier way that I can satisfy it? So instead of satisfying my desire for human connection with promiscuity, maybe I can do that with a real deep relationship with somebody that I truly care about, right? So there, there's ways to, if you have legitimate desires or or positive reinforcement that you're seeking, there's ways to get it that are healthier than others. So sometimes you can just do that. You can trade one for the other. But if it's not uh, uh, if it's an, if it's not legitimate, if it's an, an irrational desire, something that in and of itself you think is irrational, then you, you have to start to think about, well, why is it there? What's the deeper at issue at work and how can I deal with that? And 
in my experience, I found that often bad habits like smoking or drugs or whatever are really just symptoms of a deeper problem and that you'll never truly kick the destructive kind of surface habits until you deal with that deeper issue. Now, obviously, that is a whole other, <laughs> much bigger, much longer discussion that I'm probably not even qualified to have. But the point is, you you really need the, the the thing that underlies all this is you need to be honest with yourself about it because it's easy to focus on that surface habit as that's the problem and, and, and trying to just deal with that while continuing to ignore what is really the deeper issue that we know is there. Often we know that that's the deeper issue. It's just so painful. We don't even want to go there. So we ignore it and pretend like this kind of surface bad habit is the thing that's the issue. You need to be honest with yourself and understand and and the connection between the bad habit or habits and that deeper issue. So, uh, again, if as, as long as you continue focusing on just surface issues and never get to that deeper issue, you'll never truly be free of it or any of the bad habits that that stem from it. So that said, even though even if you can't immediately fix that deeper issue, oftentimes those things are issues that take a while to get through. I mean, PTSD took me a number of years to get through. And, you know, there's probably still ways it's affecting me that I haven't fully figured out yet. So you can't always immediately fix that deeper issue. At the very least, do what I did before, do what I mentioned before, look for healthier ways to deal with those kind of those desires or those cravings or those that positive reinforcement that you're seeking until you're able to deal with that, uh, uh, that deeper issue for good. The thing that the point I'm trying to make is just don't use that as a cop out to never deal with that deeper issue because that you'll always, it'll always be hanging over your head if you do. So finally, I'll kind of leave you with this. So again, when I was in the army, you know, I was dealing with the PTSD and it became more and people started becoming more and more aware of what was happening and the suicide rate that was going on within the military and people coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan and, and a number of other places. And so and and dealing with the, that emotional trauma. And so the army, to its credit, really started trying to dig in and figure out what was going on and how to help these people. I mean, I was in uh, during this time when all of this was happening, and they really did make a concerted, legitimate, full faith effort to try and figure this out. They really wanted to help these people to to deal with this sort of thing. And so, again, it's been four or five years since I got out, but uh, at the time when I left, what they had landed on was what's called cogn cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's different from, I think, what you probably would see in movies and so forth, which often tends to be more this Freudian approach where you try to, or Freudian approach where you try to kind of maybe you get hypnotized or you try to relive the moment. And so the whole idea, as I understand it, is to have you kind of relive the trauma as you now being separated from it and come to see it as not as traumatic, just to recontextualize it in a in a certain way. This is that's not what cognitive behavioral therapy is. It's 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 about skills 
So it teaches you thinking skills that help you to deal with all sorts of things that may come up in life, including the the emotions that happen to you as a result of, of those things. And so it's more about, it's a skill-based approach. It's more about learning how to think accurately. And I can just tell you from my own experience, I've just, I've seen a number of people's lives changed from it, including my own. This is a big part of how I got over my drinking habit, how I dealt with PTSD was learning this stuff and actually starting to use and implement the skills that I learned. So in any case, there is a book when this all came out in in, uh, in the army, there was kind of a a book where the methodology, a certain type of methodology had been laid out and it was kind of the basis for the program that the army developed and that book's called The Resilience Factor. And it essentially details these skills. It's like seven different skills and it helps you, it not only tells you what they are, but gives you kind of tips and, and tools for how you can help to cultivate these skills for yourself. So how you can actually learn and get better at these skills. And like I said, for me, it was life-changing. It was the thing that, again, helped me get over my PTSD, my drinking habit, all of that. So I would highly recommend if this some, if something you're interested in, you're dealing with, you you really are want to get serious about getting over it, then uh, grabbing a copy of that book. Now you can use johnmorrisonline.com slash resilience, and that'll take you there. Or you can just go over to Amazon and look up the resilience factor and that'll that'll take you to it it'll, it'll be usually the first listing there but anyway the point is if if you're dealing with this and you want to get serious about it read that book and then actually do it actually start implementing those skills that you learn in the book in your life it it really is eye opening and can be incredibly life changing changing so I know, again, this is kind of way off topic, but <laughs> take that for what it's worth. I'm by no means a psychologist, so don't take any of my advice as gospel or as expert advice or any of that stuff. But that's kind of been my experience. Those are some of the things that have helped me get through some pretty traumatic experiences and deal with some pretty destructive habits. So hopefully that gives you some insight into how you might be able to do the same if you're dealing with it. So. All right. Thanks for watching this episode. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and we'll talk to you next time.